Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And as we talk about your wisdom in our brokenness, may you bring the full healing that only you can bring. And I pray in your name. Amen. Friends, today we're going to start a brand new series that I'm entitling H5. I'm super excited. I want to share with you, first of all, we're going to be talking about healing today. I'm going to do a little introduction, talk about healing. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be healthy. Week after that, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be hyped. And again, I talked earlier, shared with you that hyped is just an H word for vision, mission, Who are you? What are you doing here? What are the habits and commitments that you put into place? And what role does hope actually play from the wisdom tradition, from the scriptures, from our tradition, in creating us as whole beings? Now, I want to share with you why we're doing this series. As many of you have been with Spark for a while, you know that we start in a biblical text and we just dig and we just mine that text for as much as we can get out of it because there's so much beauty. But this particular series emerged out of a series of events and experiences and conversations that I've been having, that uh, we've all been having, many of you have been having, about our experience. First of all, we have shared that our church is in some ways a church of refugees, meaning church refugees, people that have come from other religious institutions or organizations, and because of your experience, because of the teaching, because of that treatment, have found yourself trying to figure out how to embrace this beautiful and wonderful loving God in that story, but yet having difficulty and challenge with either the treatment and or the teachings of those religious institutions. And this is no surprise. People have been documenting and writing about this for a long time. And the most recent one from group publishing is actually entitled Church Refugees. How you love God, you are spiritual, you are attempting to know and follow this Jesus a little bit more, but you just can't do all of the trappings, all of the stuff that comes with the institution or the organized religion of it all. Barna wrote about revolution, about a complete shift of spiritual experiences no longer found within the walls of a church, but now found everywhere in the office building, at the golf course, when you're out taking a hike, when you're experiencing nature, when you are raising your children. And he talked, this was decades ago, I shouldn't say decades ago, this was about 15 years ago that he was writing about a radical shift in this, because people, sociologists, religion, uh, people who study religion have noticed that something is shifting and something is changing. Unchristian came out and talked about how the reason why I'm leaving the church, the church, this institution, this thing that has been so central to American culture is homophobic, anti-science, closed-minded, and just list after list after list of things, and we just got to get out. I can't do that kind of faith anymore. And then I know that I'm speaking to good friends in this room that have come from very personal church church experiences where there's been a moral failure, where there's been some sort of leadership dysfunction, and all of us in this room who have experienced that get caught in the turmoil and the undercurrents of all of that. There's this amazing African proverb that I love, when the elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. And so many of us have come from this kind of an experience before. Let me just pause and say, from my personal heart, to, from two places. Number one, as somebody who has decided and chosen to do ministry as a vocation, as something that, of my calling, I just want to say, I am so sorry. 
I want to say sorry on behalf of the church, but I also want to say sorry on behalf of me. As I was preparing today and thinking through this, I can actually think of names of people that, for whatever reason, I know that I have been the source of some pain in their lives, either because of what I taught, how I led, and those kinds of things. And we're all human. We're all doing our best. And I just want to publicly say, you know, I may never see those people ever again, but I just want to publicly say that if there's ever been any of that from us, from me, from here, we are truly sorry. It was never been our attention. We're always working and striving hard to be as loving and caring and open and inclusive as possible, and we fall short of that. And so we hope that our vulnerability and our transparency helps to meet you in the place where you're at. And uh, we're also very sorry for any experience, wherever you've come from. We hope that you find a home here, that you are radically welcomed here, regardless um, and almost in spite of the experiences of your past. Number two, one of the reasons why I want to do this series is many of us, as a result of that, are going through what is known as a deconstruction. I've heard some in our congregation, and I've heard many people on podcasts and in the news talk about, I am now leaving this faith that I grew up with. But the problem is, now that I'm leaving it, all of the teachings and the entrapments of that theology or or how they have uh, postured themselves socially, I'm leaving. But now it's just kind of left me in an empty space. In other words, we have deconstructed, we have torn down, we have taken all of the Legos apart and said, this structure doesn't work for me anymore. And I'm hoping that through this series, we actually can reconstruct something. One of the biggest questions that is now emerging in our culture and our time as a result of getting rid of the stuff of our background is what do we put in place? Is there something that we can construct? Is there something that we can build together that is beautiful and whole? Because it's a very tenuous situation to live and find your identity in what you are not anymore. And so this series, I hope through our conversations together, we put into place a construction. We put something wonderful and beautiful out of which we can live. And also, the reason why we're doing this series, this is very central to our core values. Not only do we want to rescue the world, all the social institutions, but you know what? I want to help us and our congregation and you individually rescue your heart and your soul. And I hope that through our time together, that the brokenness that all of us carry around, the hurt and the pain, that struggle, will slowly begin to start the healing process towards being a whole human being. And when we find our journey and our path toward that, then we find life. And so I hope that this is what happens with all of us and all of us together. One quick caveat, one quick side note, disclaimer. Obviously, a five-part series isn't going to do it. It's not going to be the answer. I would like to share with you over these next five weeks some reflections, insights, share, share with you some authors that I've read that have really helped me on my journey, and I hope that it helps you. And then together, we just set a foundation for the journey of healing, not a series of healing, and then it's done. This is something that we start and that we continue on. Are you ready? (laughs) Maybe. That's honest. I love it. Because it's hard work. Today, we're going to start with healing. 
And I'd like to start with some of the wisdom literature. And Proverbs is often not a a passage that is preached upon, but we're going to start here. We're going to dig, and I hope uh, hope to illuminate for you some of the brilliance of what this is. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take it out, uh, start with Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to highlight some things, and you're going to have some bubbles and some notes uh, from here. So let's start. Proverbs chapter 1, and ground ourselves in the wisdom tradition that has existed for many, many years. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now listen to this. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Now, Just in this opening two verses, there are explosive definitions and deep connections that are happening here. The phrase for gaining is actually the word da'at. It's the same word that is used in Genesis when Adam knows Eve. It's the same root word that that means intimate connection. So, Wisdom, in this particular sense, in the Proverbs wisdom tradition, isn't something that you attain. It is something that you are deeply, intimately, personally connected with. Dot, to know intimately. Now, this word wisdom is going to show up all over the Proverbs. It's not just some sort of esoteric thing up in the sky. Wisdom is about ability, or skill. In other words, you can take some of this knowledge that you have learned and you can translate it or transform it into a skill, an ability, something that you can now practice. And this is so critical when it comes to wisdom literature, when it comes to wisdom tradition. It's not something that you sit up high in the sky and all of a sudden now you are some sort of guru and you can do your meditations and now you have this wisdom. Wisdom in this tradition, is about an ability, a skill that you attain for how you do your relationships better, for how you respond or react to uh, various stimuli in your life better. Instruction is this word that means discipline. The word musar can also be translated discipline. In other words, this is hard work. The wisdom that we're going to look over is not just simple, easy. It's actually very difficult. Now, it's very simple, meaning the principles can be simple, but it's difficult. It's challenging. It gets at the very core root of how we make significant changes. Understanding means to pay attention. Insight is this beautiful word that means to discern. And just in this opening passage, there's some beautiful resonances when it comes to the wisdom tradition. And I'm, I'm going to make a statement right now that I don't think is terribly controversial. I'd like to just put out there that I think wisdom is good. Hopefully that's not terribly controversial. But given some of the conversations that I know that you've had on Facebook, some of you would like to say to some of those friends, and they would like to say to you, you know, you could use some wisdom here in the midst of throwing around a variety of epithets, a variety variety of sayings, news reports, and all these different types of things. Wisdom, in the ancient tradition, in the ancient tradition as well as today, is good. It helps us filter through all of the things that sometimes drive us crazy that may not make sense. And wisdom in this tradition, if we embrace it and we know it, will give us a skill 
something that you can actually practice and do that will make your life better, that will make you whole, that will make you healed and healthy, and will make all of your relationships grow. The passage goes on, for receiving instruction in prudent or successful behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. And there's those famous words, tzedakah and mishpat, righteousness and justice that we have talked about before, and fairness and agreement. There's some beautiful things there I'm going to skip over. Now this verse, verse 4, the next passage, is our central focus for today. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and direction to the young. Now notice this. Prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. What does this mean? Well, this word prudence, later on in Proverbs and other places in the Old Testament, is translated as shrewdness or craftiness. It's not just wisdom and insight, but it's the ability to take knowledge and to be shrewd with it or to be crafty with it. Another way of possibly saying is that there are intricacies or nuances or subtleties that exist in wisdom. And I love this. This is compared to those who are simple. Now catch the weight of this verse. Do you in your life know people When there's an issue, be it a political issue, a relational issue, a philosophical issue, they know the answer, and it's simple, and it's clean, and it's easy, and it just makes sense to them. But something in your mind goes, but it's not that simple. There's more to it than what you're saying. I kind of get what you're saying. I kind of get where you're coming from. But there's more to it than that. I love this verse because in most of our dialogue, in most of our conversations, people have very simple answers to very complicated problems. And the wisdom tradition, this tradition comes along and says, listen carefully to this wisdom, to this instruction, to this teaching, because do you know what you need? You need subtlety, nuance, intricacy, You need insight, and you actually need to be crafty with how you come up with solutions or responses to the problems and the difficulties and the challenges that truly exist in the world. Think of an issue. Think of a hot topic political issue that is obviously on our minds during this particular season, whether that—I won't name anything. Okay, so think of something. Now think of some politician or a— friend of yours or somebody in your circles that says, well, it's easy. The answer is just. And the wisdom tradition comes along and says, we actually want to give you wisdom and prudence to the simple. There are no easy answers according to the wisdom tradition. And when you think you have a simple solution, you may not be embracing the full wisdom that exists in reality. That's where discretion means purpose, direction, but it can also mean plan or a scheme. So that once you finally awaken and heighten your thinking, this is a little bit more complicated than what I think it is. Only then can you start to put out a plan and a direction and how to bring help 
to a current situation. Are you with me? Prudence, wisdom, insight, complexity, nuance, intricacy, craftiness, two simple, pat answers to life. I love this verse because I don't live in a simple world. I live in a complex world. And all of the beautiful things that I've experienced in life, whether that be adoption, whether that be church, whether that be politics, none of those things have simple answers. And do you know what I need? I need a lot of wisdom. I need some insight. I need some knowledge. I need some nuance to all of this. Let me just finish the first six verses of Proverbs. Let the wise listen. In other words, wisdom first comes just by listening paying attention, and add to your learning, and let the discerning get guidance. In other words, some, perhaps one of the things that is needed is, is for you to be discerning first, to be wise first. So there's some paradoxical situations here. The wise are the ones that get wiser. The discerning are the ones that get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings, and I love this word, the riddles of the wise, because there's that complexity. There, it's not just a very simple answer. There's one commentator that actually translated this phrase, ambiguous sayings. I love it. The sayings and the ambiguous sayings of the wise. I love Proverbs and this opening passage because of this. The answers to all of this stuff are not simple. They're deep. They're intricate. They're complicated. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> and many of us have come from a place, and we live on a spectrum of extremely simple, and then on the other side, there's wisdom. Now, what does this have to do with healing? Let me tell you a couple stories. Several years ago, I was doing what I love to do, just sitting, holding space with people that are having complications, marriage issues, relationship issues. And one of the things that came up in this conversation is, he leaves dishes in the sink. And I'm thinking to myself, I leave dishes in the sink. We began to press this a little bit further, and we began to ask some questions about what's the big deal, can he, and why can't you just do your dishes? And obviously, over an hour, an hour and a half of just counseling and talking and just listening and processing, as we all need, eventually, through a variety of conversations, we got to this place where when this wonderful woman was growing up in her life, Whenever she left a mess in the house, her parents used to berate her and demean her because it meant that she was not responsible. And because she wasn't responsible, she wasn't as worthy or valuable of either attention, affection, etc., etc. This conversation that I remember having was not about the dishes. The simple answer would have been, hey, dude, clean up the dishes. Clearly, that's the answer. That's the simple. Wisdom says, 
What else is going on in this conversation? What is the thing that is happening that is pushing and driving all of those emotions? Why is it that when the dishes are left in the sink, it isn't just a, oh boy, there he goes again, but there's something deep and visceral and painful that lives. You know that little place in your gut that begins to tighten up and begins to turn whenever those things happen in your life? Why does that happen? We need some wisdom. This isn't simple. There is something more going on in that conversation. I'm adopted, so this is my family tree. <laughs> I wish more of you would find that as hilarious as I do. I, I just think that's hilarious. And I want to share candidly and a little bit vulnerably that uh, Danielle and I have been married now 18 years, if you can believe that. Um, we, we've, we've had a, a beautiful and wonderful relationship. And I want to tell you that there have been moments. There have been moments when, when there have been situations like the dishes. Now, I want to tell you that this work that I've been doing has made and caused me to go back and reflect on my marriage. And uh, I have a tendency as a result of some of the situations in my family. Growing up in my particular family um, meant violence, dishes being thrown along the wall. Now, I want to make this disclaimer every time I share this story that my father to this particular day is one of the most transformed people that I know, and he's had an amazing transformation. And for those of you who know him, uh, know that uh, he's one of the most kind and generous people. Growing up for me meant that if I got a C on my report card instead of a B, that meant that um, I would possibly get thrown across the hallway in physical violence and broken dishes. And I remember growing up and thinking to myself, I, I don't know if I can call this abusive home. I, I, don't, I don't know whatever language. I remember sitting on the back fence of my house with my sister and having those images in my mind of, we can run away and create a wonderful life. And I don't know if you've ever um, felt like you've ever been in a place where you wanted to run away from home. And that, that still sticks with me. So I, I have this experience. And so the solution for me, whenever I run into situations in close relationships, what's the thing that works for me? I'm out. I leave. I can distance myself from whatever situation or whatever problem, whatever thing is going on. Now, I want you to put that in the context of a relationship. And if something happens, can you imagine how my wife feels when it doesn't matter what the thing is? My response to that, whatever emotional thing, is to then distance. And you don't, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man, you know what that's like from somebody to emotionally distance from you. And I think about the pain that I have caused in my marriage as a result of doing that. But here's the thing it wasn't because of whatever thing that I'm naming. I'm replaying in my mind and in my soul and in my spirit all of that stuff that I have brought from years and years and years ago. In other words, this is the thing. And here's why this wisdom tradition is so critical. All of us can immediately point to the thing that causes us pain, that brings up those emotions again, that says, this is why this is a problem. And you can easily name it. I know you can. If, you, if, I, thought of, if I asked you to think about something that was painful, you could point to it and say, this is the thing that is the problem, and you know how to spell their name. But wisdom tradition comes along and says, there's nuance, there's something more. There is a thing behind the thing that is pushing and driving what is going on. Psychologists and therapists call this emotional triggers. What is the thing that turns 
something in your gut on. And it's easy for us to be simple. That's it. And if so-and-so would just stop that, then everything would be better. But here's the trick. Here's the thing. I love this phrase. A trauma trigger is an experience that causes someone to recall a previous traumatic memory. Although the trigger itself need not be frightening or traumatic and can be indirectly or superficially reminiscent of an earlier traumatic incident. When you have those experiences, the thing is actually indirectly or very superficial, but an emotional or traumatic trigger, back to the violence, recalls all of that into your mind. I'd like to sum up this phenomena in one question that we're going to deal with today. Where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? And here's the reality. The thing that you can point to immediately is not where it hurts. The thing behind the thing is where it hurts. People have talked about uh, and done some I know some of you in here have actually done the work on some brain science. This is your brain. This is obviously a very simplified version of it. The reptilian brain, this is where all your emotions sit. This is the thing that kicks in gear, the fight or the flight or the fear. And then your upper brain, the rational brain, the brain that it can think about wisdom and instruction and think about all those insights and all of that stuff is up there. But guess where everything flows through? Everything flows through that part. It's called your limbic system, your amygdalates, all that stuff that causes you to ratchet up your gut again and say, there is a threat that is going on right now. And if you've experienced any sort of trauma, a loss, a broken relationship, anything of that sort, this particular part of your brain has now been conditioned to save yourself from the very threat. And if that is not dealt with appropriately, other things later on in life will remind you of that thing. This is a neuron. This is the stuff that makes up all of that brain. We know that stress and anxiety, all of those things, trauma, all those difficult, challenging situations that all of us have found ourselves in, does this to our brain. This is what happens. And neurologists actually talk about how when you are stressed and anxious and when you have all these things, your neurons actually don't fire in the same way. These dendrites, these part of your neurological system, they actually stop growing, stop connecting. And those are the things that connect your higher brain, wisdom, insight, all of that stuff. It ceases to work. And so if you're in a state of fear or anxiety and all that stuff, you actually can't think, you can't process, you can't become wise because of all of that stuff that's going on. Sound familiar? I actually even heard that when you are stressed and anxious, and when you have those particular situations, and when you're, especially when you're angry, you can't think straight. Why? Because the stuff that's going on is firing so much that your brain actually heats up. And that's why we have all these images of people getting red when they get angry. And to process rationally while you're angry uses up too much energy, and your brain would actually fry. This is what I heard. This is one of the ways that I put it. A past trauma unhealed is equal to a present threat. Does this sound familiar? 
And I'm going to guess that many of us, if not all of us, at one particular point in our lives have experienced something along those lines. I ran into this uh, phrase, where does it hurt, by this beautiful woman and her story, a major player in the civil rights movement, uh, one of the women who is featured in the now national, um, I forget the title of it, African American History and Culture Museum in Washington, D.C., Ruby Sales. Please take a listen to an interview that she did with Krista Tippett. Where does it hurt? That's a question the civil rights legend Ruby Sales learned to ask during the days of that movement, a question she found to have a power to drive to the heart of the matter. It's a question we scarcely know how to ask in public life now. But it gets at human dynamics we will be living and reckoning with whoever our next president might be. But a defining moment for me happened when I was getting my locks washed and my locker's daughter came in one morning and she had been hustling all night and she had sores on her body and she was just in a state, drugs. So something said to me, ask her, where does it hurt? And I said, Shelly, where does it hurt? And just that simple question unleashed territory in her that she had never shared with her mother. And she talked about having been incested. She talked about all of the things that had happened to her as a child. And she literally shared the source of her pain. And I realized in that moment, listening to her and talking with her, that I needed a larger way to do this work. Mm rather than a Marxist materialist analysis of the human condition. The entire interview is actually very incredible to listen to. Where does it hurt? And this is what's so brilliant about this wisdom is that even during the civil rights movement, there's things that you can point to where it hurts. But to get at what's really going on, you got to go deeper. Where does it really hurt? And it is there that you begin to find the path towards healing. Ruby Sales goes on. Again, I wish I could play for you the entire interview. It's like an hour and a half long. She goes on to say, and also I was riding down the road one day in Washington, D.C. after having been at a demonstration against the war in Iraq. And suddenly out of nowhere, I started crying. And I realized that God had been with me even when I hadn't been with myself. What a beautiful phrase. God had been with me, even when I hadn't been with myself, even when I hadn't noticed or recognized the source of my pain. And those moments made me real, really begin to seek to go back to really think deeply about black folk religion and to really want to develop in a very intentional way an inner life that had to do with how I lived in the world. Getting back to the source of the pain, unleashing territory, This, in my opinion, is wisdom literature. Healing, my friends, I'm going to suggest to you from these Proverbs passages, begins with one simple question. Where does it hurt? Does it hurt in the situation and circumstances right in front of you? Or does it hurt somewhere else? And that thing isn't really the source of your pain. It's something else. It's the thing that is behind the thing. Now, let me apply this very, very quickly. We all have been a part of churches, or most of us, many of us, 
where there was a source of pain. And you know what? Here's the simple solution. Those people, if they had just, that would be a simple solution. And I'm going to suggest to you that the Proverbs and these ancient voices are calling us to dig deeper. Does it hurt somewhere else? Sure, there's pain directly from that person or that institution or what they said directly here, but there's, there's somewhere else that we could dig. And the reason why that's important is that the pain or the source of that pain, that hurt lives out there. There's no path to healing because it's there. It's not within your control. But if you can locate that pain in a different part of your soul and your spirit, if you can add nuance and intricacy and complexity to that, then you can start the path towards controlling and meeting and healing that source of pain. What about my personal situation? The work that I've been doing is to go back, and I remember, um, and I'm going to be very vulnerable with you here, I remember sitting in the therapist's office having a conversation about something that was going on, and again, we weren't talking about the thing. We were talking about dad and growing up, and I remember she asked me this one question. She said, what would you wish your father could have said to you? And that, oh, that question just dug. And I said, I wish my father would just have said to me, it's going to be okay. And he never said that. And so I started to do some hard work and going back there. I, I will tell you what a difference this is starting to make in my life. What about dishes? Any relationship? Anything that's going? Is the dishes the thing? And what would it be like if that couple that I told you about before, if that husband would not only do the dishes, but then also recognize that the dishes symbolize something else? Went there went to that hurt, met it there, loved her there. Can you imagine the process of healing that would begin if that happened? Where does it hurt? Name that location. And when I mean name the location, I mean do the hard work of getting to that place where it hurts. Are you okay? Are you still with me? And again, I hope that this is helpful. I know this is the beginning of a process. Okay, last thing. There's something going on in our culture. And I recognize that November 8th is going to be a very difficult and challenging day, honestly, for all of us. Um, You read any news reports, you start to realize that this is one of the most stress-inducing electoral seasons we have had in our history. And people have talked very uh, candidly about the anxiety that is living within us. I would like to do my best and take a stab at what does this wisdom literature tradition have to do with this? Because somebody's going to be president after this. Somebody's going to take the oath of office. And some of us are going to be really anxious, stressed, and our neurons are going to go... So what does this wisdom literature have to say to this? There's this article in the Atlantic, a reading guide for those in despair about American (laughs) politics. What a great line that is. And the reason why I love that is because how do we get to other resources? Can we get to other sources of pain? And one of the contributors to this article is Russell Moore, who's the president of the Ethics and Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he's been a really phenomenal voice of sanity uh, in the midst of this season. He listed the righteous mind, which, by the way, um, some in our 
congregations, uh, our congregation have read that book and talked about why does religion and politics divide people? And again, it sits up here, uh, Fractured Republic, which I haven't read. And then he listed the book of Judges (laughs) because this has been going on for a long, long time. And when you go back to here, he says, this biblical book is a bracing, honest appraisal of what happens when moral norms are abandoned. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Maybe that's the source of our pain. Maybe that's where it hurts. So my friends, this wisdom tradition is here. For giving us prudence to those of us who are just simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young so that we can actually do something. And I pray that we would all, as wise people, listen and add to our learning because wisdom is good. And let the discerning, all of us, get guidance and direction, application, so that we can understand all of these sayings, these proverbs and these parables, the sayings of the riddles of the wise. All of these teachings that we're going to go over over the next couple weeks, my prayer is that we as a community, as individuals, can gain some wisdom. And today, the first portion of that wisdom is just simply asking the question, where does it hurt? And if we can locate that place and meet it there, then maybe we can begin to find some healing. I I really like this song. And I pray that in just a brief moment of devotion as Jerome leads us, uh, we would turn to him who is our ultimate healer. So let's just sing maybe a chorus or two of this. um, And then we'll close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the midst of all of our brokenness and our pain and our struggle, I know that there are good, amazing, wonderful people here and listening to this message that just simply need to be reminded that you are the ultimate healer. And I pray, God, that as we begin to do the hard work of locating our pain, answering the question, where does it really hurt? I pray that that is the beginning, the start of some beautiful, amazing healing that can take place in our lives. And as we begin down that journey and continue, that we will find a free and abundant and amazing life that we have never experienced before because of all the things that have held us back. I pray that we can embrace love and we can be loved more and more by who you are and be rescued from all of those triggers from all of those things that seem to set us off, from all those things that seem to hinder us from experiencing the full intimacy and joy of being in beautiful relationships with one another and work. So help us to do that work. And we submit ourselves to you and to your hand in all things. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.